Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and open to the Gospel of Matthew and Matthew chapter 7 this morning. We are going to finish up today our study in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We've been looking all this uh, spring, actually for 19 weeks now, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. What a study it has been. As we come to the, to the Word, let's take a moment and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are so grateful that we have this opportunity to come and to dig into Your Word. What a blessing. We thank You for this day as well, the opportunity to come and gather as the family. What a blessing that is. There are some who are gathered with us right now online various ones who are ill and have health concerns and cannot be here, we pray your grace and blessing upon them. We pray your blessing on the Hernandez family for comfort for Faye in their loss this week of our brother Charlie. But how we rejoice that he is with you and better than ever. We have confidence in that he is with you this very day. Well, Father, we come to this passage and we need, we need your grace. Your word is inspired. It is without error. It is profitable. But we need your spirit to open it to us this morning, to open our spiritual eyes and to, Father, that we might have spiritual ears to hear and to put it into practice. So, Father, we commit ourselves to listen, and we ask that you would speak to us this morning through your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. If I were to ask you this morning to describe your home, some of you would, you know, would say that maybe it's a, uh, you might talk about its style, it's colonial, it's an English Tudor style, it's a little, uh, you know, Appalachian cottage style or whatever. Some of you might talk about its size, whether it's large or big. You might know the square footage. Some of you might talk about uh, whether it's, you know, a ranch or whether it's a two-story or a split level. Or you might talk about um, where it's located. You know, it might, your house is located in Winsville or in, in Lake St. Louis or maybe it's down out in the sticks near Defiance or, or uh, wherever. I imagine we would all have a lot to say, but I would, if I were going to ask, I would say do it in a, in a minute. But I bet if we all, if we had time to listen to everybody and go through all your descriptions of your houses, we'd hear all these kinds of things. You might say what color it is. You might say it's brick or it's, or it's rock or it's got wood siding or vinyl siding. All these descriptions. I have a feeling that if we went through the whole group, that none of you would describe your foundation. Unless maybe you just spent, you know, six billion dollars getting yours fixed. <laughs> or whatever it costs these days. Foundations are those things that once they're put in, we rarely ever think about unless we have a problem. Well, the passage before us this morning is likely to most of us a familiar one. Jesus describes two men who build two houses on two different foundations. 
If you grew up going to church somewhere along the line, you probably heard the story in Sunday school or in children's church. Maybe you heard it many times. And if you you did, you probably learned to even sing it. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise, Yeah, you remember that one? And as kids, we learned the, the song, we learned the story. And our favorite part, of course, was when you got to the end and the house built on the sand went. You know, the kids do that a lot better. <laughs> and lots of enthusiasm. Splat! You know, they'll be yelling out and slap their hands and it's a good time. And it's, it's a nice, fun, enjoyable song. Lighthearted. But before we get there, we have a few verses to go through this morning. The verses preceding this very familiar story. Last week, we... We came here in chapter 7, beginning in verse 13 last week. As Jesus wraps up His sermon, He's come to His conclusion. Last week, Jesus instructed us to take the narrow gate. He explained that in life, every person in this life is on a journey they are headed towards one of only two ultimate destinations. And he said, most people are on a broad and an easy road that ultimately leads to hell. And it is a sad and a frightening reality that a world with over seven billion people, most of them are headed on a road for hell. But Jesus said there is an alternative, an alternative road, an alternative way, and it leads to heaven. It's a narrow gate and it's a hard road. And Jesus said that only a few take it. But Jesus says, choose this way, take this way. And that is the reason we have missions, because Jesus said, we are to take that message of this alternative road, this alternate way, this alternate gate, an alternate path. And we need to take that message to the ends of the earth. That's why I love that this church cares about missions, cares about spreading the good news of the gospel. But as we come today to the second half, the rest of Jesus' conclusion of this sermon we come to verses 21 to 29 of Matthew 7. And I find the words here to be the most sobering and most tragic words of all of Scripture. Verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, in other words, not every professing Christian, not everyone who names the name of Jesus gets into heaven. Not every person who makes the claim that they are saved is going to heaven. 
as he says, it is only those who do the Father's will. Then Jesus continues in verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus says on the day of judgment that there will be many cases of mistaken identity. Many, he says, not just a few. Many will be surprised on judgment day. People who thought they were on the way to heaven. People who call Jesus Lord. And people who point to great works in Jesus' name. Jesus says they will have a mistaken identity. For they thought they were on the way to heaven. And the focus here Jesus is talking about, He's not talking about the Joe Pagans of the world. You know, those folks who outright have rejected God, rejected Jesus Christ. They are blasphemers. That's not who Jesus is speaking of here, but rather it becomes clear that Jesus is talking about Joe Christian. Those who say, Lord, Lord. People who are very religious, people who are churched people. People who name the name of Jesus. People, it says, who, who they say that they have prophesied in His name. Meaning that they have, they have taught, they have preached, they have spoken in the name of Jesus. People who claim to have cast out demons in Jesus' name. People who claim to have worked miracles. Whether they have actually done so is irrelevant. And there are, in the pages of the Scripture, people who are unbelievers, who have worked miracles and cast out demons even while they were unbelievers. Judas, to name one. Jesus is speaking of folks, some of whom teach Sunday school some of whom sing in praise teams, some who work in church nursery, some who volunteer at camps, some who help in food pantries, some perhaps even who are missionaries and pastors. Again, it's not one or two. Jesus says many will be there on Judgment Day saying, Lord, Lord. And Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. And He sends them away. Away from His presence, He says. And into judgment, into hell. You see why these are sobering words. 
Because Jesus is speaking to a group like this. People in church. And He says there will be some on that day who will say, Jesus, we did great things in Your name. I served You. And that's frightening. Because if it hasn't already, it should raise in your mind, is He speaking to me? I mean, why are these people condemned? Because I thought, surely anyone who knew the name of Jesus and would arrive at judgment saying, I did great things for you, surely they're going to heaven, aren't they? Jesus gives us here three reasons why these folks are condemned. One would do. Jesus says, first of all, I never knew you. Jesus shatters their claims of knowing Him when He says, I never knew you. The reality is, they knew who Jesus was but they've never had a relationship with Him. They've heard a lot about Jesus. They may have said a lot about Jesus, but they never personally had a relationship with Jesus Christ. He does not know them. Of course, He knows who they are. God, He knows everything. Jesus does. But that word knows means to have a, an intimate relationship with. Secondly, Jesus says of these He says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, again, despite all of their claims to have been doing great things for Jesus Christ, Jesus says they have been lawless. That word lawless means to set aside the law that God has set down. It means that they, in other words, Instead of doing what God desires, they've been doing what they want. They have named the name of Christ. They have been in church. They have done all of these things, but they've been living this, quote, Christian life on their terms. Their own way. Rather than listening to and caring, what does God say? What does God desire? Thirdly, I look up at the verse before in verse 22. And I notice what Jesus says about these. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And the emphasis is on what they did. They're focused on themselves. Look, we did this. We did this. We did this. The emphasis is on them, not on Jesus. They're focused on themselves. We did this. We did this. We did this. And they focus on all that they can do. And they focus on religious duty. Doing lots of Christian things. Using lots of the right Christian words. But you see, they never had a heart for Jesus Christ. Again, going back to workers of lawlessness, they have come on their terms. 
Instead of asking, what is it that Jesus wants from me? What is it that Jesus has asked for me to do? What has Jesus said for us not to do? They've been focused on doing what they desire. Lots of very religious things. See, it's always been a problem that people will come to God and offer Him what they think God wants instead of what God wants. David, writing in his great psalm of confession, say, I would bring sacrifices, but that is not what you desire. The sacrifice of God is a contrite heart, a broken spirit. See, so often we come trying to bring God what we think He wants, not listening to what He says. Such are these. They have professed faith in Jesus. They have professed having a relationship with Him, but they never possessed faith in Jesus and a relationship with Him. Again, these are frightening things and they're disconcerting. Because just Jesus in these, in these verses isn't addressing the unchristianized world out there. He's speaking to those who are within the sound of His voice, who have heard His words, who have been in church. And He says there are many who are not going to heaven. And this brings us now to that passage that we're familiar with. We come to the story, the familiar story of the two builders and the two houses. Verse 24. And Jesus begins in verse 24 here in the ESV with two words. Everyone then. Everyone. Interesting thing, that word everyone means everyone. What that says to me is that this has bearing, this has import to us today, 2,000 years later. Jesus is speaking to you and to me today just as He was those, those folks on the hillside. These words are important to us. Everyone, then. That word then literally is the word therefore. And it's the word as we've talked about before. When you get to the word therefore or then, it's taking what we have right here, what Jesus is about to say, and it's connecting it to what He has just said. In other words, Jesus is going to connect this story. or The point of this story is connecting to what we've just been reading about, what He's just been speaking about. And as Jesus tells this story about the two builders, in the two houses, He's telling us this story today so that we can understand how not to end up like those in verse 22 who arrive there that day, judgment day, and they are shocked when Jesus says, I never knew you. Verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew and and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them 
will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Two men, two houses, and it's an illustration. These two men, these two houses, maybe they were neighbors. Doesn't matter, it's a, it's a parable. The story is that one was a wise man. You may know this story. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The foolish man built his house on the sand. Apparently, these, these two houses are, are quite similar. To look at them, they look pretty much the same. Maybe about the same size. One, they're both very nice houses. They look good on the outside. And, and apparently, if we were walking by and looking at them, none of us could just by looking at the outside could observe and say, there's a big problem with this house. It's not like one was standing straight and the other looked like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. They were both looked, appeared to be very firm and very solid. And then comes a storm. A severe storm. And the rain and the floods and the wind. And they're drastically different results. One house stands strong and the other house falls apart. And since Jesus has tied this story to what has preceded this, what we can surmise is that the, the two houses here represent the, the lives that two men build. And the storm is judgment day. And apparently both men appear to live as Christian men. Both men are like the people in verse 22. They're good people both of whom have done many things in Jesus' name. And from the outside, were you and I to sit just down the pew from them, we couldn't really tell any difference. And one man is headed for heaven and one man is headed for hell. The difference is not obvious on the outside. But the foolish man is like those surprised folks in verse 23. whom Jesus says, go away. I never knew you. So what is the difference between these? We've already said it. Duh. The difference is the foundation. One was built on the rock and one was built on sand. We get that. But hopefully it raises a great question in us. If we don't want to be the foolish man, if we don't want to be the people in verse 23 that, that are caught by surprise, we should be asking the question, how do we be this person who builds on the rock? How do we build our life on the rock? What is this rock that Jesus calls for us to build upon? That is the Six million dollar question here. What is the rock that we are to build upon? And the standard Sunday school answer is absolutely that's the right Sunday school answer, but it's the wrong answer. 
Because that's not the rock that Jesus tells us to build on. It's not how He tells us to build. What is it? Jesus gives us the answer. Look back. Verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You see, the rock, Jesus is saying there, is hearing His words. The words of Jesus, the Word of God is the rock. Building on the rock is doing Jesus' words. He who hears these words of mine and builds upon them, who does them, he is like a man that builds his house on the rock. In a similar way, Jesus said, he who hears the words, the rock is there, but he goes and doesn't build on it. He builds on something else. The one who doesn't do Jesus' words, who doesn't put them into practice, He is the one whose house falls. So you might ask, Pastor, are you saying, in other words, that those who put Jesus' words into practice are saved and they go to heaven, and those who don't put Jesus' words into practice don't go to heaven and they go to hell? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. And I say that because that's exactly what Jesus said when we started in verse 21. Go back to verse 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The one who does the will of the Father, the one who, and the will of the Father is to do what Jesus said, to keep His words. He said, that person is the one who goes to heaven. The Father's will As we do the words, we obey the words of Jesus. That may set off alarms in your head. Wait a minute. See, if we do Jesus' words, we go to heaven. Pastor, then are you saying that we get to heaven by works? Because that sounds like what you're saying. And it sounds like that's what Jesus is saying here. It raises that question, are we saved by doing works? And the answer is, you weren't very convinced. The answer is no. We can know that because the Scripture is quite clear. I'll just give two of many verses we could use. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. We read it earlier during the, the communion service. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. None of us will get to heaven because of any good works we did. No one gets any credit because it's all from God's grace. We can't earn salvation. It's a gift of God's grace. We receive by faith. We know John 3.16, I quote it often, so if you never ever try, you just get so, you hear it so many times from me, you've memorized it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him 
will not perish, but have eternal life. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, by believing on Him. The Scripture is incredibly clear. Then what does Jesus mean when He says it is the one who does the will of the Father? It gets to heaven. It is the one who hears His words and puts them into practice and does them. What Jesus is saying is this. Our works, our actions, confirm or deny our faith. In other words, the person who says, I believe in Jesus, if he does Jesus' words, we know his faith is genuine. But if he hears the words of Jesus and he says, I believe and I trust in Jesus, but he doesn't do what Jesus says, he's not telling the truth. If a man says, I love God, but he does not do what he says, he lies and the truth is not in him. John writes, 1 John. Luke's account of this story that Jesus is telling here of the, the two builders. Luke begins by saying this. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? In other words, Jesus says, for you to call me Lord, which means Master, but then when I say to do something, you don't do it. Those two things don't go together. They don't, they don't fit. That's an oxymoron. It's a contradiction. It's like saying that we believe that in the next three minutes, a tornado is going to burst through this room and level this, this room. And then we all just sit here and keep going like nothing's happening. You see, what it says is either we are fools with a death wish or we really don't believe a tornado is coming through here. And so Jesus says, for someone to hear his words and not do them is, is saying that they really don't believe him. They really don't trust in him. Your actions either confirm your faith or they deny your faith. They, it proves or indicates it's not so. You really don't believe it. Churches are full of people who profess to be born again Christians. And yet their lives are indistinguishable from the people in the world around them. The world around us. They chase the same things. They value the same things. They laugh at the same things. They, they chase the same pleasures. They sin the same sins. They are indistinguishable from unbelievers. And yet they claim to be born-again believers in Jesus Christ. And that may describe some folks here in this room. And Jesus is saying... I don't care what you claim. If you don't live as a believer, your life is not backing up what you claim. And you ought to be very concerned. Because it is that sort of person, Jesus says, 
who will be surprised one day when they get to heaven or when they get to judgment. And Jesus says, "Mm -mm, you're not going to heaven. James warns us, in such a case, the person that we are most fooling is ourselves. If we hear the word, uh, oh, I forgot Titus here, speaks of people who claim to know God, profess to know God, but deny Him by their works. But James says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. See, there's the problem. We think we can sit here week after week and we just, because we sing the songs, we name the name, we profess faith in Christ, we go through the little religious stuff, we can go out and live however we want, and Jesus is happy because one day, 30 years ago, I made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying such people may be deceiving themselves. Verse 28. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at His teaching. For He was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Folks were astonished. They were amazed. Indeed, nobody ever talked like Him. Usually they're the ones, their preachers, their leaders, they, their sermons were full of footnotes. Rabbi this and so said this, Rabbi so and so said that, Rabbi so and so said that. Jesus came and said, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Jesus spoke with authority because he made outrageous claims. He claims to be God. Earlier in this sermon, Jesus said, chapter 5, He said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. All the prophecies, they point to me. I've come to fulfill it. There have been many people through the ages looked at this sermon of Jesus and they admire Jesus and they admire the great moral code and they love the things, love your enemies Do good to those who persecute you. Oh, that's good. That's good. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Oh, good. Good. Do good things and be secretive about it. And they love all those things. But they miss the point. When they miss the point that this sermon is all about Jesus. That it cannot be disconnected from Him. It hinges on Jesus not as a moral teacher, but being who He claims to be here, the fulfillment of the prophets. Of being the one who earlier in this text, in this chapter, just in the verses before, being the one who says that He is the final judge. No human can claim that. But Jesus said on that judgment day, I will say to them, Jesus all through this makes astounding claims. He says His Word is to be followed as the Word of the Lord of all. Because it would be blasphemy and it would be a crazy man talking unless it's true. And it is true. Jesus is Lord of all. And if we believe that, then we need to take His words here quite seriously this morning. 
Jesus has said in this conclusion that there are only two destinies. There's a wide road that leads to hell and a narrow road that leads to heaven. And we, the, the only way to heaven is this narrow gate and this narrow road. And Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the way. And if we want to go to heaven, we must go through Him. We must believe Him. And if we believe Him, then we will follow Him. That's what Jesus is saying. We will follow Him. And if we don't follow Him, then it's very likely we don't believe. So Jesus has moved to this morning to talk to those of us who say that we're we're here amongst those who are on the narrow way, those who are headed for heaven, and He's calling for us to inspect the foundation to see if we, instead of being following the narrow way, we're really on the broad way. We're really living life on our terms. We're really saying that we, you know, we say we're going to heaven, but we think we're doing it our own way. And we're focused on what we do, 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 do for Jesus. But we've never had a heart for Jesus and we've never had, we've never said, what is it that He wants? <laughs> because Jesus, I trust you in whatever you want. I'm on it. Are we really following Jesus or are we workers of lawlessness going our own way under the banner of Christianity? Jesus calls for us to inspect ourselves today. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. How do you know? Well, Jesus has said, you know, if it's your heart to follow Jesus, and you are, you know your faith is genuine. Peter writes, make your calling and your election sure. How? (laughs) By doing what Jesus has called you to do. 1 Peter chapter 1, you can look that up. We're not saved by our works. But if we are saved, there will be evidence of that in our life. We've just spent 19 weeks going through this Sermon on the Mount. The whole Sermon on the Mount, the whole point of it is Jesus is laying out before us what His disciples, what His followers will be like and what they will look like and what they will do. And so if you want to test your foundation, go back and work your way through the chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew and look at what Jesus says about His followers and say, is that going on in my life? Tell you what, I did that last, last night. And I remember as every message, it has been so convicting as I look and I go, wow, I don't measure up. I'm not that. Jesus said, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We recognize our unworthiness before Him, our sinfulness before Him, and we have to cast ourselves on the mercy of the court because we got nothing to bring. And Jesus said, that's where you start. (laughs) Well, I got that. (laughs) I'm nothing. I got nothing. Say, blessed are those who mourn. Are you broken over your sin when you sin? Does it break you? Or do you just excuse your sin, dismiss your sin? Well, that's not a big deal. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, 
those who aren't proud, who aren't self-focused, who aren't self-serving. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Is it your real desire to be right and to do right? Or do you never even give it a thought? They can go on and on. The reality is, of course, that none of us measure up to this. But this is what Jesus calls for us to do as his disciples. We aren't saved by our works because none of us can measure up. We're saved by grace. But if we throw ourselves upon his grace and in faith trust Jesus, it's going to change our life. We'll start saying, I'm not all these things as I should be, but Jesus, I want to be. Jesus, by your grace and with your help, I'm going to start take this one and start putting it into practice. And oh, I need work on this one. We'll work, let's work on this one too, Lord, right now. And little by little, He begins to change us from the inside out so that we don't look like the world around us. We don't act like the world around us. Not that we're all holy and religious, but we're like Jesus in our character. You see? The ones who get to heaven aren't the ones playing religious games. They're the ones who really trust Jesus. And because of His grace and mercy, we try to follow Him. It's not about perfection. I like what John MacArthur said. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. I'm following Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this is convicting stuff. There may be some people here, maybe some people watching this, who they've been playing a lot of games, they've been doing a lot of religious stuff. The reality is they have no heart for you. And they may be putting on such a good show, everybody else thinks, wow, look at them. Aren't they a faithful follower of Jesus? But they know they don't really have a heart for you. They do it to look good. They do it to sound good. They do it to try to impress others. Maybe even they do it to try to impress you. The reality is we can't impress you with our goodness because we can't be good enough. But you and your grace offer the righteousness of Christ, forgiveness from sin. You offer a new heart and you offer to remake us. The remodeling won't be complete till the day we get to heaven. Father, may that change be evident in everyone here in this church who names the name of Jesus. Because they're not playing games. They really believe you. And that belief, that faith, shows up in real life. Father, we pray this for your honor, for your glory, and we pray it for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.